today we're going to be we're going to be talking about some things. But before we get get to that serve day, um, they they announced serve day. They and and serve day. What that is is it's something we started doing years and years ago as a church. And what we did is basically lots of churches meet and we meet and we come and we learn about Jesus. We come and learn about what God wants for our life, and. Uh, and, and, and we're really good at that. As Americans, we love to learn. We love to gain knowledge. Um, but what Serve Day became is instead of just sitting here in a room talking about the love of Christ, let's go do it. Let's go live out the love of Christ. So what we do is that day, which is June 14th, it's not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, everybody needs to come dressed in shorts and whatever you want that could potentially get dirty, potentially get paint on it, potentially whatever. You could, you may not get dirty, but come ready. Come ready. And what we're going to do is we're going to have jobs lined up all around the walls that you can go do from real easy to more complicated. But we have people, project managers that are going to be at every job site that will give direction on how to do it. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to go out and love on the people in our community and in this room. They just need help, need God to show up in big ways. And we're going to go do that. We're going to go be the church and love on people. And we're not going to meet in here other than to get our jobs. And then we're going to go actually live and work out our faith. And, it's, and for all of you that have been a part of it, it is one of the best days of the year. We have people that come to Gateway Church because they were recipients of service that they had no idea and couldn't understand why we were doing it. Why on a Sunday morning, why are you coming to my house and, and not making me pay you for all this work? It's because we love you and it's because of what God's done in our life and that, and we, and, and that overflows to you because that's, God's good and he loves you. And that's why we want to do this for you. So please make it a big point to come in two weeks. It is an enormous part of who we are as a church. Enormous. One thing I need from you is we, we need two, I, I want two volunteers today. We need two people that can drive a truck and a trailer. And at the end of the service, I mean, at the end of serve day, are going to drive around and pick up yard waste, pick up branches, pick up trash, whatever it is at these different job sites. I need two guys or gals that can drive a truck and a trailer that are willing to volunteer to do that. We've, we're missing two. Any hands raised? Got one back there. Steve Brown. All right, way to go. There we go. Joe Tipton, we got two. You need anything else? Jana says, thank you. That's Jana, our serve day service team guru. She's got lots of stress and anxiety, so you need to pray for her. Right? All right. All right, let's get started. Today we're talking about, this, this last few weeks, we've been talking about private conversations. And uh, these are private conversations that are in Scripture. They're conversations that Jesus had with an individual. Okay? And that for some reason, God designed those conversations were written down and included in Scripture. Why were they done? That, why was it done that way? It's because we have the same issue. Or we need to learn from it, or we need to see how God relates to us in that, okay? That's why these are included in Scripture. So, like last week, we talked about the rich man and this conversation that Jesus had with a rich man. And in that, we realized that we're all rich. 
So we all identify with the rich man, whether we feel rich or not. We all identify with the rich man. But in that, what did Jesus do? Jesus spoke directly to the thing that stood in the way of the rich man and Jesus. And he told the rich man to sell everything he had and give it to the poor and come follow him. Spoke right to it. In that case, unfortunately, the rich man, because he had a lot of wealth, turned away. And he left. He left. And that's a sad, sad moment. We talked about the fact that what is that thing for you? What is that thing that potentially is in the way? Is it money? Is it, is it possessions? Is it kids? Is it, what, what is it? Is it a relationship? What is that thing that gets in the way? Because God wants all of you. All of you. And he doesn't want anything to have a hold on you. This week we're talking about a religious man. And, and, and this religious man was a, a big standing. And if you got your Bibles, turn to John 3. John 3. We're going to be starting in verse 1. But I'm going to give you some background on, the, background on this guy. Nicodemus is who we're talking about. Jesus comes up. Actually, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and has some questions. Now, the weird and ironic thing is that Nicodemus was a very, very prominent religious figure. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which is a, what, what Pharisees were in that time is they were, Pharisee means separated ones. It means that he was like elite. Pharisees were generally business leaders, successful businessmen that lorded over rules and rituals and religious practices. They were very, very, very um, worried and concerned about people meeting the standard of behavior and following religious rituals to the T. And so anybody that didn't do that, they, they, they were less than, and they looked down on. And Jesus spent a lot of time in Scripture, these people that were looked at in all of society as religious leaders, Jesus spent a lot of time criticizing them. I mean, he was actually pretty rude in some ways. He, he went after them. Why? Because they... They lorded over and they misrepresented what God really was about. They acted a certain way. They acted like they were higher up than everyone else. That's why the Pharisee means separated one. Nicodemus was also a part of the Sanhedrin, which is the highest Jewish ruling council. Okay, It's the equivalent of the Supreme Court. So basically the Sanhedrin ruled over every religious thing. The Supreme Court. And, uh, so that, and that's what makes this story even weirder, is that here's this religious leader who's very prominent, very wealthy, got everything on the surface, got everything going. And even the, what you, if you've got your Bibles, just look through Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Just grab that, just those pages. See that? Just filter through those. They had all of that memorized. How much devotion would it take to memorize all of that? That was a lot of work. A lot of work. They memorized it all. They knew every law, everything. The Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court Justice, they knew all of it. They had it all memorized. They didn't have to go sit there and look. They knew it. 
So that's what makes this story even weirder. What was a Supreme Court justice doing coming at night to some small farm town judge named Jesus to ask questions? What was a Supreme Court justice doing coming asking some unsanctioned rabbi questions? Why did he need to do that? One of the things that we know and see in Nicodemus is that Nicodemus was a lot like you and I. We have this nagging hole, this longing that we can't explain. We try and fill it with going to the gym. We try and fill it with going to relationships. We try and fill it with money. We try and fill it with possessions. If I can only get... If I only get this habit and I, and I get in better shape, I'm going to, you know, everything's going to be right with the world. We have this internal ache and longing. We're, we're looking for something and we still haven't found it. You know, Bono, that's what the whole U2 song is about. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's what that song is about. And Bono got a lot of criticism because Bono believed he was a follower of Christ but he still hadn't found what he was looking for. So in that, we all have this longing and ache. And Nicodemus, even with all his knowledge, with all his prominence, with all his possessions, still had this hole they couldn't fill. And he came to Jesus at night. We're going to pick up in John 3, starting in verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with born of the Spirit, everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. So the first thing we see in this is that Nicodemus comes and, like I said, he has this longing and this, you know, these questions because even with all his knowledge, he still doesn't get it. He still doesn't understand it. He still feels disconnected. And the first thing I want you to know about that is that's by design. That is by design. That longing, that ache, that, that longing for home, that whole it's, it says in Ecclesiastes 3, it's going to be up on the screen, Ecclesiastes 3.11, this is talking about God. He said he's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. So what's happened is that God set eternity in the hearts of all men. The only one that can fill that hole, because eternity is not bound by time. The only one that can fill that hole is God. The only thing that can fill that longing is meshed with eternity. The Spirit of God. So all this searching and all these different things you're trying to do to fill it, 
can only be filled by God. God set eternity in your heart, in mine. The only way you can grab it is with him in the connection of his spirit in you. Nicodemus didn't know that, and that's why Jesus goes on to say that you must be born again. You must be born again. Now, I don't know about you, I grew up in church a lot, all my life, and, and born again kind of has gotten a negative a, a connotation a lot of times because the whack jobs or the, oh, born again followers of Christ, the born again Christians or whatever, a lot of, a lot of society has painted them in a bad way because, you know, they, it just, it's weird, it's weird. They, these born again people got painted as these just crazy people in some ways. But, but the reality is, born again, you have to be born again. It says in that passage, Jesus says to Nicodemus, without Nicodemus even asking, Jesus cuts right to the core of what the issue is. He said, very truly, I tell you, you must be born again. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. So, what do we see in that? If I can't enter the kingdom of God unless I'm born again, that means that being having new birth is required. So what does that look like? What does that look like for all of us? What does it look like to be born again? Do you know that you're born again? Do you know that you have had new birth in your life? Nicodemus, with all his knowledge and with all his presence in all these temples and everything else, was not born again. The same can be said for many of us. We can know a lot of what the Bible says and still not be born again. We can be in the right places and still not be born again. How do you know if you're born again? Born again in this context means born from above. Born from above. And Jesus says that, you know, Nicodemus, just like all of us would ask this question, how can I go back in my mom's womb and be born again? Jesus said, born again, you must be born again, new, new birth, new creation. It's a spiritual birth. It's not a physical birth. New birth is like getting a new operating system for your, for your computer. You may still have the same computer frame, but it operates altogether different. All the codes that Josh Marble puts into computers He's a genius, by the way. All those codes and stuff, that being born again is an all-new way to operate. It is a strong departure from everything else that you've been in your life. Being born again, having new birth, is not something you just add to your life. It is not a new habit. It is not something you just add. You know, oh, I, you know, I feel this, you know, I, I want to be a better person, so I'm going to add going to church. That's not being born again. Being born again isn't being in, just being in a life group. It's not just something you add to it. I, I mean, a few things, I'm going to add some new habits. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to quit cussing or, or whatever. Being born again is a radical change in you. Doug Benjamin talks about, Doug here? No. Doug talked about in one of his testimonies that he came for like the first couple years, a year or two at Gateway and sat up there and listened and listened to all the messages and everything else. But it wasn't until about a year or two later 
that he had a true conversion. True conversion. Something was different. It was no longer just information. It was relationship. It was no longer just head knowledge. It was relationship. Relationship. First Peter 1 talks about this. Sorry, Josh, I skipped you. Um, First Peter 1 talks about this, and it'll be up on the screen. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How do you know you've been born again? Even though you don't see him, you love him. And you believe him. And you are filled with an inexpressible joy. Those are marks of being born again. Being born again. You know, when you see it, you know it. Like Rob Esslinger and Sarah Powell are two people that just, like, sticks out like a sore thumb to me. Rob and I, I met Rob Esslinger in the worst season of his life. But what happened? Rob found Christ and was born again. And Rob, in the midst of what would be ultimate terrible times in your life, Rob always had this weird joy about him. Like, I almost thought it wasn't real. I I was like, what is the deal? It was an amazing conversion. He trusted God. He loved God. He wanted to know more and more about him. Wanted to know more. Sarah Powell's the same way. Sarah, I mean, going through some terribly difficult times, and all you just see her, and she's just bubbling joy out of her. An encouragement that defied her situation. New birth. New birth. You know, Sean Banks is in my life group. And Sean and I, he, he and Nicole have been like absorbing things in our life group. And Sean made this comment to me, he goes, I can't believe I've gone 40 years without this. Can't believe it. Missed out. It's evidence of new birth. New birth is new desires. It's everything new. It's like you take this old frame and it's got a new way to look at things. You know, I've got eight kids and I love each and every one of them dearly. And as their father, my, my youngest boy, Cruz, he is the most destructive little boy ever. I mean, it is amazing to watch. And, and, and me as his father, I sit there and I just laugh and smile, even when he's doing stuff wrong. I mean, and my wife comes in and goes, why are you letting him do that? He, he knocked the stool over, a stool just like this, knocked the stool over and was like in between there pushing it and whatever and ended up doing a header. And the whole time I'm laughing and my wife's like, what are you doing? Why did you let him do that? I just take joy in watching him explore and watching him move and try and figure it out. 
I watch him grow and it just, I mean, more and more love pours out of me. I love all my kids. Just like when I watch my boys play soccer and I watch them get knocked down and I watch them jump right back up and go. Or I even, you know, watch them, some bigger than them guy, knock them into a wall and I watch my my oldest boy get up and get right back in that guy's face and stand there. And you know what? I love it. My wife was ready to run down there and run on the field. And I'm like, no, Johnny will take care of it. I'm a proud, loving father. I do not obsess about my kids' mistakes. I do not obsess about the things that they do wrong. I'm watching them grow and I am putting them in position to grow. And that's your heavenly father. For whatever you have heard and whatever you believe, your heavenly father is not hovering over you, ready to pounce on your every screw up. He takes great delight in you. He loves you and he loves to watch you grow. And being a father myself has changed the way I receive God's love. Because I now, having grown up in a very legalistic church at times, I now understand love differently. I understand the relationship differently. Because see, one of the things that happened to me is I, I accepted Christ as my Savior and was baptized when I was 10 years old. And you know, growing up in church... One of the weird things about growing up in church is that I was never really doing bad things that, I, that the world would say are bad things, you know? And so this whole new birth and new conversion and true conversion and stuff, it was a little bit strange for me because I, I was learning things about God and I was reading things about God and I was a good little boy for the most part. So I didn't have this like radical, I used to long for this testimony where, you know, people would give these testimonies where, oh, they were all this terribleness and, and then they met God and everything changed. And people would ask me, well, what's your story? And I'd be like, oh, geez, I'm boring. Grew up in church all my life, you know, parents were June and Ward Cleaver and, you know, I mean, whatever it is, I was bored with it. But you know, here's the deal. I accepted Christ as my Savior at 10. I was baptized. And, but, you know, at some point, Jesus became Savior and Lord. Savior and Lord. At some point in the midst of all this rubble of my life, he rescued me. And there's no doubt in my mind about conversion. There's no doubt in my mind that he loves me. I took communion two weeks ago or whatever. And you know why it was so substantial? Because I was in a rough season. I was having a, my attitude was terrible and whatever. And I was even having trouble praying and for communion. I was having a, a terrible time. In fact, I wasn't even going to take communion. I ultimately did. And I went to communion. And what, you know what the, I did is I took the bread and I dipped it in the cup. And I said, you know, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for giving it all, even when I'm in these moments. Thank you that you love me so much, even 
when my attitude's terrible. Thank you. New birth. It's different. And how do you know? It's because, and I'm just going to sit because we're just going to talk. New birth is different because it, it represents a different understanding, a different relationship. It's different. What is different about it? My desires are different. And just like a baby, I'm wholly dependent on God because I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what the spiritual growth and the next steps are. I'm totally dependent on God. I have a longing to know more. Della and I talked earlier before the service started and she talked about, she just has this hunger and thirst to know more. That's why she loves to come to Gateway because we break it down. She wants to know more. That is symbolic of new birth. Those are characteristics of new birth. This desire and hunger and thirst. Those are big things. Because here, here's the thing. When, you're, when we're born as infants, we're dependent on our parents. And when we're born as spiritual infants, we're dependent on God. And we're dependent on him for the rest of our life. We're dependent on his provision. We're dependent on his direction. We're dependent on him to grow us up. And the thing is, that's one of the markers of having had a true conversion and been born again is that you're going to grow up. You're actually going to grow up and you want to grow up in your faith. You know, it's like, it's like as a baby and as a kid and all of us, you know, we all wanted to get bigger. We all wanted to grow up. I wanted to learn how to drive. I wanted to, you know, graduate from high school. I wanted to get married. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to, you know, have the American dream and have the house and all the, all the wonderful things. It's part of growing up. And spiritually, it's part of growing up. Do you have a hunger and a desire to grow up? Paul talks about in John 16. Sorry. 1 Corinthians 3. It says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you still are not ready. You still are worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? See, the deal is, growth is required. If you've had a new birth in Christ, if you have been converted and you believe and have this relationship and this love like first peter talked about even though you don't see him you love him if that is you then your desires are going to be different and you're going to want to grow up you're going to want to grow up you're going to want to be a part of those spiritual growth markers those developments you're going to want to be like, Josh, can you pull up that on Ocean Song um, where it says, Spirit, lead me, that, that slide? As I was singing this today, this is where 
you know that something deep down inside of you is you've received new birth and been converted. So spirit, lead me. Is this, is this something that echoes from your soul? Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my savior. Is that your desire? Is that your longing? Do you want to go? Or do you sing, do you sing words like that and, and really down deep you're going, God, don't take me to those places. I'm terrified. Don't take me there. I don't, I mean, where my feet could never wander, trust without borders. I mean, those are scary, scary words, scary words that defy comfort and defy control. Being converted, having new birth, having new life in Christ. There's a longing to be like him and to be a part of the things that only he can do. There is a longing to have a life that can't be explained apart from God. There's a longing that you would have that you would be a part of these powerful, amazing things that only God could do. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power. How many of you have received power? Power. Because I think what happens a lot of times, and this is where we're just going to talk. I think what happens a lot of times is we come to church and, and it just ends up less than. I don't know what it is. I mean, you know, I come, I listen. I don't, I don't really get all that they're saying. Some of the words they use are kind of different and... And I don't know, man, I mean, I've been searching and I thought I'd try this church thing. You know, somebody invited me. I thought I'd try this church thing, but it, it's, it, I don't, I don't, I, I kind of don't get it. I don't, I didn't see any big difference. Yeah, I met some nice people, but I didn't see any big difference. The difference is you just don't know God. You've been coming to church. You've been listening to these messages and you don't know God. And I'm not, that's not me attacking you. That's just me telling you the truth. That's me telling you that you don't know God because if you knew him, it would be altogether different. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that's the thing, you know, I, I don't, this message is not really to, to frighten you or scare you. It's to bring clarity. And in this case, what I'm about to say is to bring assurance. It says in the Bible that the Holy Spirit, in Ephesians 1, it says, and read these words, and if you've got your Bibles, underline these words. It says, and also, you also were included in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. How do you know that you've been born again? How do you know that you've truly been converted? How do you know that you're assured eternity 
the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it isn't hocus pocus. You know, it was the definitive mark in the first church when people received the Holy Spirit, they were followers of the way. They were sold out. And you know why? You know how it was different? A bunch of disciples that Jesus, that walked with Jesus for three years and still were not sure and still were questioning and still were fearful and denied him and, you know, made all these blunders and whatever. Those same people, when they received the Holy Spirit, when they saw Jesus Christ resurrected, when he became Savior and Lord, you know what happened? They gave up everything. They risked their lives. They died a martyr's death. That's what they did because it was that powerful. The Holy Spirit is the definitive mark. It's the seal of the promise, the deposit guaranteeing your salvation. So in that, what's the Holy Spirit? How do you know that you have the presence of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. Do you hear his voice? Do you know him? My sheep hear my voice and they know me. How do I know that? Let's just talk about this. How do I know that? I'll be sitting in a conversation. I was sitting in a conversation with Megan at the church office and Megan was telling me stories about her life. And in the midst of that, this voice inside my head said, Scott, what she's saying is for you. She's telling you the story, but it's really for you. I didn't make that up. My sheep hear my voice and they know me. This voice, when you're about to do something, it says that the Holy Spirit is your advocate, your counselor. Your, the Holy Spirit guides you into truth. That Holy Spirit says, you don't need that. That Holy Spirit is that voice inside that says, stay away from that or watch out for that. That Holy Spirit's the one that's saying, this is taking you down a bad road. That Holy Spirit is what is talking to you right now. Right now. That Holy Spirit helps you understand this. People say, I've never heard God. I've never heard God speak. Every one of these pages are God speaking. He speaks. He speaks through the story of Nicodemus. Your ability to understand these stories are fully dependent on the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Jesus told lots of stories, lots of parables. The only people that could understand them are the people that the Spirit of God gave them understanding. Because otherwise, these are just a bunch of weird names and a bunch of jacked up people. But the Holy Spirit connects. And all of a sudden, how do you know the Holy Spirit's talking? You'll sit there and listen to the radio and all of a sudden, boom, this like, person says exactly what you needed to hear. It connects with this longing inside of you. It may be a random person here at church that says something to you or sends you a card of encouragement. It is God working through us, his spirit working through us, speaking to you. 
True conversion. How do you know? The Holy Spirit. Seal of the promise. The deposit guaranteeing salvation. Guaranteeing that eternity is for you. Also guaranteeing that eternity is now. It's not some off place, far away place that I'm trying to get to. Eternity is now. And that's why this passage that Paul talks about is don't act like mere humans. Because the power in you, the power in what God has done in you, the desires that he has changed in you, the way that you live your life isn't like mere humans because you were born above, from above. You no longer act like the world. Your desires are different. And you have to, you have to recognize that. It's power. It's living in eternity. Living in eternity. It starts now for those who believe and have been born again. So in all this, if you've got questions about this, I would love to talk to you. We would love to talk to you because you need to get this. Otherwise, every single time you come to church, you're just going to leave empty. And, and, and you're going to, that hole, that longing, that missing thing is never going to be filled. You must be born again. And it's a whole different operating system. Let's pray. God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, just like you said in your word, that as the the Spirit blows like the wind and we don't know where it's coming from, but we feel the effect. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would blow through this room and through our hearts. And God, help it connect with us. Help us to know what it is you want. Help us to be assured and confident that you, as our loving Father, delight and enjoy and watch and are responsible for helping us grow. God, I pray that we would be a people that would wholly depend on you, that would cast aside everything of our own control and just say, God, I, my, I, I, I put all my weight on you. I trust you. Even though I haven't seen you, I love you. And I believe in you. God, help that be true of me. Help me walk as though I was born from above. Help me to know and to recognize your voice. Help me to live in the power of your Holy Spirit. Help me to just, Lord, increase my faith. Help me desire it more and more and more. God, I pray for each person here that you would cast the evil one aside. As it says in your word, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Lord, I just pray that you would help break free. As it says in Isaiah 61, that you would break us out of these cells and proclaim freedom for us. Freedom in knowing that you are our father and that we are your child and that you love us and that we want to grow up and be like you. We want to grow up and be like our dad. 
Lord, fill us with eternity. Fill us with your presence. And help us have confidence that surpasses all understanding. Help us to have trust without borders. God, we love you. We love you. All of us. Pray in your name. Amen.